Good morning, church. Uh, there are two Bible readings today. Uh, the first Bible reading is from Ezekiel chapter 34, and the second is from John chapter 10. So turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 34 as we begin from verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak ye have not strengthened, the sick ye have not healed, the injured ye have not bound up, the strayed ye have not brought back, the lost ye have not sought, and with force and harshness ye have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered, they wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, ye shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding and sheep, uh, the feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather from them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country." I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be the grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture, that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture, and to drink of clear water, that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet, and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself, will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with side and shoulder, and thrust at all the weak with your horns, till you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep, 
and I will never set and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and all the places around my hill a blessing and I will send them the showers in their season and they shall be showers of blessing. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit and the earth shall yield its increase and they shall be secure in their land. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of the yoke and deliver them from the hands of those who enslave them. They shall be no more a prey to the nations, nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely, and none shall make them afraid. I will provide for them renowned plantations, so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land, and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God, and you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord God. A second reading from today is from John, uh, the letter of John, uh, well not the letter, the book of John, uh, chapter 10, starting from verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief, only, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is, not, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it away, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. This is the word of God. Our gracious God, Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks. 
Uh, it's been a, a long sermon series so far, um, majoring so much on judgment. And so we are thankful that we are able to get into this part of Ezekiel uh, to be able to um, bask in the, in the beautiful, uh, glorious light of hope uh, that we'll be spending time in in the next few weeks. Uh, as we come, we no doubt feel the burdens of life and um, we feel perhaps harassed and, and, and helpless uh, in many ways. Um, help us to be able to draw comfort and joy uh, and great hope uh, in our shepherd Jesus. For this we pray in his name. Amen. Now, as I mentioned before, we've had a long sermon series so far. If you have been around for the last two and a half months or so, we've been working through the book of Ezekiel. And in the previous nine sermons, uh, 33 chapters, it's pretty much just been judgment uh, after judgment after judgment. Uh, and I'm so glad that we are kind of over that part. Um, it's, uh, last week we heard um, God say that he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Uh, it gives me no pleasure as a preacher. It gives Steve no ple- ple- pleasure to be preaching about judgment, right? It's, it's actually quite heart-wrenching during the week, preparing what it all means and digging into the details of all the judgment that we've been going through. And it's certainly hard preaching it, and I'm sure that it's been really hard listening. Uh, I've spoken to some of you over the last couple of months, and I know it's not been a pleasant or comfortable experience. And perhaps some of us do recoil quite a bit at listening to to judgment, the idea of judgment just sounds so uh, harsh and sounds so strange of a God that we think should be loving uh, and good. Uh, but I hope that you've been able to understand and even appreciate why we've had to go through the first 33 chapters of Ezekiel. For one, it is part of God's Word, and God's Word is filled with uh, quite a bit of warnings and pronouncements of judgment. But I think more importantly, Um, Without the dark, we fail to see the stars, isn't it? Without the dark, we fail to see the stars. Uh, It it shows a contrast to us. Sorry. Yeah. You see, the blackness of sin creates a contrast for us, doesn't it? The severity of judgment helps us to uh, really understand, but even more importantly, makes us yearn for the hope of salvation. And this is exactly what we'll be on about over the next four weeks. Actually, we've extended the sermon series by one week because Steve and I chatted and we said, we've done nine weeks of judgment. Surely you can do more weeks on hope. There's so much great stuff, right, from chapters 34 to the end. So we decided to add one more week of preaching about hope. All right, so it'll be an extra sermon, a bit more time learning about hope, appreciating hope, uh, experiencing hope, and basking in hope. Uh, Let's know how the hope that we hear about in Ezekiel actually points us to the hope that we have in Jesus, right, in the gospel. Now, as we move into this new section of Ezekiel, let's uh, step back for a moment uh, and ask ourselves, right, what's been going on? Uh, What has the blackness of chapters 3 to 33 shown us? If you've been around the last uh, couple of months, this might be a bit of a recap, very quick one. If you're new here today, welcome. Uh, This will be a chance to just kind of catch up with where we're up to when we get to chapter 34. Right, what's been the problems that we've been dealing with for Israel? Uh, what needs fixing and how might these things be fixed? Right, what are the problems that need fixing and how might these things be fixed? Now, chapters 3 to 33 has shown us that Israel had three huge problems, right? Three huge problems. Problem one, each and every single Israelite had a... Had a um, uh, um, um, I lost myself, right? A terminally sick and sinful heart. 
right? Each individual Israelite had a terminally sick and sinful heart. Number two, Israel had terrible leaders right, who led them astray. Right? They were godless, self-serving, and wicked leaders. And the third problem was that they were surrounded by nations who were enemies of God and therefore enemies of God's people. So we've got an internal problem for the individual, we've got the internal problem of the nation with its leaders, and then we've got the external problems of enemies right, who, are in, uh, who are of God and enemies of God's people. And if you combine all these things together, over the last eight, three chapters, we've seen that this led to the exile of ba- in Babylon, their, their city being destroyed, the promised land being a wasteland, right? We've seen that these things combined resulted in Israel's demise. So the question then is, what would it take, right, for Israel to have hope? Right? For there to be hope, each of these profound problems needs to be fixed. So each individual Israelite would need new hearts, they would need new leaders, and they would need for the enemies that surround them to be defeated. What would be needed would be a great reversal of all these problems, where the old order of things um, are removed and a new order that is established that will guarantee success and life. Now, clearly, when you think about this, right, new hearts, new leadership, defeat of enemies, no human could be able to achieve this, right? The hope cannot be found in man. The only possible hope is found in the Lord God. And that's precisely what the rest of Ezekiel is going to show us, right? That it is the Lord God himself who will have to step in right, to reverse all these problems and create a new system for there to be life. Now, we'll be spending most of our time in chapter 34 today seeing how the Lord God deals with the leadership problem of Israel. Next week, when we look at 36 and 37, chapters 36 and 37, we'll look at how God fixes the the sin problem in each individual heart. And then finally, 38, 39, we'll look at how he'll fix the enemy problem of the nations around. So you can read ahead if you want to see where we're going. Now, each week, we'll see that what Israel most needs is exactly the same as what we all most need, what the world today most needs. What Israel needs is the same as what we need today. Now, let's get into chapter 34 then. The first big problem that the Lord deals with is the leadership problem of Israel. So as you kind of scan through verses 1 to 10, um, look at the indictment, right, that that the Lord God puts on Israel's shepherds. If you scan through, first thing you'll notice is that they were a real self-serving, self-interested bunch. We're told that they only fed themselves. We're told that they were a neglectful leadership. They did not feed the sheep. They did not strengthen the weak. They didn't heal the sick. They didn't bind the injured. They didn't bring back the sheep that went astray and got lost. All of the most basic things that a shepherd would do for their flock, the shepherds of Israel failed to do. Right? All the most basic things they failed to do. They, they were neglectful. And I think worst of all, though, they exploited the sheep. Right? They ruled with force and harshness. In verse 3, we're told that they clothed themselves with wool, they slaughter the fat ones. Now, I wonder where the wool came from. Well, it came from them shearing the wool of their own sheep. Where the fat sheep that they eat came from? Their own flock, right? In verse 10, we're told <coughs> that they actually fed on the sheep. They metaphorically consumed the sheep for their own desires, to fulfill their own desires. And so here we see a picture in verse 1 to 10. The role of Israel's leaders was to care for God's flock. It wasn't even their own flock, it was God's flock. That was their role. They were leaders in the most uh, broad sense. They were both the civil and the religious leaders. 
that were given responsibility and authority to provide well-being across all their lives, right? Because the, the Israel as a nation, the leaders were both the civil leaders as well as the religious leaders. They were there to provide for their physical needs, their economic needs, the justice system, as well as, of course, their relationship with God. They were given God's laws, right, to create a just society marked by the character of God. They were given God's word and God's promises and God's plans in order that the people of God might be taught to know and trust and love and worship God, who was their true king. Now we see, as we step back from this passage, that actually human leadership is a good thing. It's a, it's a God-given gift to humanity. Right? Leadership is essential to human life and to human flourishing. People who have the authority and responsibility, who have the knowledge and the abilities to lead and shape homes and Society, the communities and societies and nations, empires, and even the entire world, right? We need leaders, which is why we know that anarchy, right, the complete lack of leadership never works. Now, Australia is well known to be an anti-authoritarian kind of culture, right? But most of us don't come from Australia. We come from an Asian culture, and we know that authority is strong. Now, we might experience that in a good or a bad way, but we know that leadership is necessary, But it only really works when it is good leadership, when it is godly leadership, isn't it? When leadership is driven by godly characteristics, when leaders genuinely care for the people that they lead, when they really strive and seek what's best and what's good for them. Ultimately, though, the best leadership is leadership that acknowledges God as the ultimate leader, to know that he's the king of the whole thing, right? The best leaders are those who know that they have a higher authority that they are accountable to. The best leaders are also the ones that lead people towards knowing God, the one who is truly king, the one who is the one who ultimately will protect and will provide and will bless. You see, the good life is the God life. Right? The best and truly flourishing life is the life that is lived in connection to God. Right, in connection to God, in connection with all of the good things of God. Because this is God's will. So the good life is the God life, and godly leaders lead people to that good, godly life. Now, Israel's leaders were the total opposite of this. Right, we've looked at this over the last 32 chapters, and if you read the rest of the Old Testament, you'll see this. But not only Israel's leaders. I think human leadership across the millennia, ever since the fall, is leadership that is like this. Leadership that's like this. Those in power in homes, within our families, in schools, in workplaces, in the private and public sector, in kingdoms and empires, even in religious institutions like the church, all through human history, has been marked by this kind of self-service and self-interest, hasn't it? Leaders who are there to feed their ego, feed their desires, their power, their wealth. Whether it's kings or presidents, whether it's politicians or policemen, whether they are heads of companies or schools, social clubs, sporting clubs, whether priest, pastor or imam, even within our homes, our grandparents, our parents, we are far too aware of leadership that seeks just to serve themselves, putting their own needs and desires over the people that they serve. We also experience that human leadership so often neglects the needs right, of those that they serve. 
Once again, we feel this most at home, right? We all grew up in some kind of home, and perhaps some of us have experienced parents who shirk their responsibility to really nurture us, spiritually raising us to know and love God, or, or, or physically neglecting us, or, or being emotionally absent or distant, or harsh even. We see this neglect across all levels of society. <clears throat> Politicians, they break promises. Uh, managers and employers, they neglect basic duty of care for their staff. But worse still, I think, we are all too familiar with leadership that exploits. <clears throat> not only are they self-interested, not only are they neglectful, but they actually harm the people that they lead. So we also know of homes where children are treated as objects to be used and abused. Workers are treated pretty much like slaves, and they are slaves in parts of our world. Or they're treated just as a means for the bottom line, right? To be used for the company's gain. Citizens in many places are treated as pawns for power-hungry rulers. Now, this was certainly the state of Israel's leadership, and it rubbed off on the people of Israel. So we skim down the passage to verse 17. So chapter 34, verse 17. Have a quick look. Uh, the Lord, having prophesied to the shepherds of Israel, now prophesied to the sheep. But these are... Some of the sheep, not all the sheep, because not all the sheep are the same, right? Within the sheep of Israel, there are kind of the fat sheep and kind of the skinny sheep, the bad sheep amongst the good sheep. They too were like their leaders, being self-serving and neglectful, even exploiting them, right? There were those who would eat their fill and then they would spoil the rest of the food for everybody else, right? They would drink the clean water and they would muddy the waters, right? There are those who would mistreat other people. They're like leaders, so become the nation, right? These, these sheep have taken on the same kind of attitudes because leaders will always influence, correct? Whether in our homes or in businesses or in the nation, there will always be flow-down effects from the top. Now, Israel's terrible leadership brought about the great disaster that we've been reading about and listening to over the last nine weeks in the last 33 chapters. And it's summed up for us pretty well, I think, in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 34. So have a look in your Bibles. Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 5 and 6 is a summary of the kind of harm that was brought to Israel by bad leadership. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. So the sheep were scattered. We already know this, right? They were judged and they were led into exile, first to Assyria and then now to Babylon. And why? Because we're told that they were not fed, right, by good shepherds. They were not fed with God's word and God's ways. They were not taught to be obedient to the covenant that they had with God. They were not taught to appreciate and cherish this amazing relationship that they shared with the Lord God of heaven and earth. They were not led to become faithful worshippers of God. They were not guided towards godly living that would include justice and, 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 and loving each other to create a, a flourishing society. And so becoming utterly unfaithful towards God and so utterly wicked towards each other, they, they were judged and they were scattered to the nations. Now let's be clear, right? Every single individual person is accountable for their own sins and their own actions. But we see here, too, that in huge part, because we have such a great influence by our leaders, that our leaders are much to blame, or their leaders 
are much to blame for what happened to the nation of Israel. Because in life, we cannot escape the influence of leadership. Who here was born as a baby? Silly thing to say, right? We're all born as babies. And as babies, do you know what you are? You have completely, you have, you have, uh, you know absolutely nothing as a baby, right? You can do absolutely nothing for yourself. You're baby, you, you need leaders, don't you? As, as, as human beings born as babies who know nothing, who can do nothing, and have, must have to have nothing, we rely on leaders and shepherds who will feed us, who will clothe us, who will protect us, who will teach us, train us, guide us, govern us. And so we need leaders, right? In our homes, in church, school, work, community, society, the, the world, we need shepherds who will lead us to the good life. Israel needed that, but they failed to get it. And I think our experience in our world is that we need it also, and we fail to have good, godly leaders in every sphere of life that will lead us to the good life. If this problem is to be reversed, if there is to be any hope, any way out of a life of sin and judgment, then we need new leadership. And this is where the great note of big hope enters into our picture, right? This is the part I'm looking forward to, okay? Verse 10, uh, follow along with me as I read for us from verse 10. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand, and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. And if you were to read on, you'll, you'll see that the Lord, what he'll do is, first thing he'll do is, I will put a stop, an end to the bad leadership of Israel. And then I myself will shepherd my sheep. I want you to notice how many I wills that we can find from verse 10 onwards, right? That's said by the Lord God. I will rescue, or I will require my sheep, verse 10. I will put a stop. I will rescue. I myself will search. I will seek. I will bring them out from the peoples. I will gather them. I will bring them into their own land. I will feed. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down. And on and it goes, right? And I think the most beautiful verse, I think, here is, is the contrast that we see between the, the, the bad shepherds of Israel and, and, and Yahweh, the Lord God as shepherd, contrasting verse 4 and verse 16. And this is where having a real Bible really helps because I don't think you can contrast two verses on a phone, right? But have a look. I'll sum it up for you in this beautiful diagram that I took me like ages to do because I couldn't do arrows on PowerPoint. Uh, but anyway, this is, the, this is the way this passage beautifully shows us the reversal. Because in verse 4, if you read it, right, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the stray you have not fetched, the lost you have not, the, the lost you have not sought. And then verse 16 starts with, the lost I will seek, the stray I will fetch, the injured I will bind up, the sick I will strengthen. I, added, I don't know whether Ezekiel like purposely fashioned it like this, but it's such a beautiful picture of reversal. Everything that Israel's leaders fail to do, the Lord God does. Everything that Israel's leaders cause harm and neglect and exploitation, the Lord God reverses. And did you notice, as you read through all this, what the role of the sheep is in all this? Is there anything for them to do? 
I remember last week and the the last nine weeks has always been about repent, 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 right? It's all about us having to respond. But here in this chapter, in this first great chapter of hope, what does the sheep have to do? Absolutely nothing. It's all what the Lord God will do. I will, I will, I will. There is no mention of the sheep having to do anything. Which is really weird, isn't it? Because the, the, the shepherds are at fault, but the sheep are not scot-free either, are they? they they're responsible for, for their sin. We've seen that over and over in the last 33 chapters. But yet still, the Lord God makes this decision, a unilateral, one-sided, his initiative alone decision to step in. That he will will to act to rescue his own sheep. The only hope for sinful Israel, led by sinful leaders, is the faithful God. The reason why there can be hope for Israel and for anyone is because the Lord God has never and will never ever be unfaithful to his sheep. Never. Now, there is one more further expansion of this hope later on in the passage in verses 23 to 24. Like one of the ways that the Lord God will rescue his flock from bad leadership uh, he himself will be the, the shepherd, but then he will also set up, uh, install a human shepherd, right, who will shepherd them. Let's have a look at 23, 24. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. And so we have this new development, right? We have the Lord God himself being the shepherd of his flock, but he will set up a human shepherd, a servant called David. Now, if you know your Old Testament, the moment you hear the word David, you should have alarm bells ringing, not alarm bells, but you should, uh, have, uh, you should be tweaked to the idea that David's a really important figure. Uh, you may or may not know that he is the greatest king that Israel ever had, the greatest leader right, in Israel's history. Uh, but we also know that David isn't just some historical single king figure. He comes to represent a future king, right? a messiah, a savior that the Lord will send uh, to save his people. And so what we see here is that the Lord will be their God, but this servant David will be like a prince who will be the, one that will be the human shepherd of his flock. Now at this point in time, we know this is meant to be good news and we know who the, this person is. But at this point in the story, you probably should be worried because all of Israel's past kings and shepherds and leaders, including David, were failures. But they had never been the perfect leader, shepherd, that could lead Israel into the good God life. But thankfully, we know that this David isn't just any old guy, any old human being like everybody else in the past. We know this David points us to Jesus. But before we go there, I want to mention one last big note of hope in Ezekiel 34 before we jump into John 10, right? Which is where we know this is going, okay? So in 30, chapter 34, the, the great result of the Lord himself stepping in as Israel's shepherd of setting up his servant David to be the human shepherd is peace, right? From verse 25 to 31, the key word here is peace. Is that beautiful Hebrew word, shalom, right? Many of you may know the word, shalom. It's a word for peace, is one of my two favoritest Hebrew words, right? Shalom and chesed, which is uh, steadfast love or everlasting kindness, okay? But shalom, let's talk about shalom. Now, the word shalom is translated peace pretty much everywhere in the Bible, but it's a bit of a, 
I felt like it was a really weak translation because the word peace, what does that really mean, right? Um, what does it mean? I feel like, mm, I feel at ease. Is that what peace is? Uh, peace means there's no war, right? You know, we live in peace at the moment. Now, this passage actually tells us this picture of what peace, what shalom looks like. If you look through and trace from 25 down, you'll see that shalom for Israel means safety from all harm. And remember, they're people who've been harmed greatly by their own sin, by their leadership, by the surrounding enemy nations. Shalom means security no matter where they lie. Right? Whether it's in the wilderness or in the city, remember the wilderness now right, is a wasteland. The city has been destroyed. It doesn't matter where they're, they'll sleep in peace, sleep soundly always. Shalom means the blessing of success, right? There will be this um, flourishing of our agriculture, right? The wasteland will become this place of, of blessing, prosperity, fruitfulness, and flourishing. You bring it all together, and if you were to look at other parts of the Old Testament, the word shalom means a completeness, a wholeness of life, the totality of the goodness of life that our Creator created for us to enjoy. Right? The totality of a, of a relationship with our Creator, an intimacy of relationship, as well as an intimacy with people and with the world. It's the good life, the God life. Now, I think Psalm 23 perfectly, uh, kind of uh, beautifully paints us the picture of Shalom. And I'm going to read it because I love the psalm, uh, and so why not, right? Uh, let's read Psalm 23. Um, fittingly, it's a psalm of David. Uh, Funnily enough, David wrote the psalm, right? A psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's almost as if David, writing this hundreds of years before Ezekiel 34, is writing a poetic version, isn't it, of Ezekiel 34. It's a beautiful, beautiful psalm that speaks of safety and of security, and of sustenance, and of success, and of sweet, sweet shalom. All made possible because the Lord himself will be our shepherd. Now, like I said, we all know where this is headed. Uh, we are indeed truly blessed living 2,500 years after Ezekiel 34 was written to know that Jesus has that God has come good on all of his promises. Right? This picture of the shepherd of Psalm 23, of, of this David shepherd of Ezekiel 34, we know that it's come good, come true in our Lord Jesus Christ. How the hope that was laid out to Israel, he has already fulfilled through his son Jesus Christ, our Lord. How through the gospel of Jesus, we continue to hope for that final fulfillment experience of eternal shalom, but a shalom that has already started to let us enjoy right now. Now remember when Jesus first came, crowds of people flocked to him because they, they saw in him something that they needed. And this is what Jesus saw when he saw the crowds. 
He saw the crowds. He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus saw the crowds that were flocking to him, it was as if Israel, right, the entire history of Israel was flocking to him. It's indeed the entire human history flocking to someone in need of a shepherd, of sheep that are harassed and helpless. As we live in a world of broken leadership, of poor shepherds who do not lead us to God and who do not lead us to the good life, we are like sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless, not properly cared for, not properly protected, suffering and in pain without true leaders who would lead us to where we need to go. And so the father sent his son, Jesus, David, right, the new David, to be our human shepherd, the fulfillment of servant David as promised in Ezekiel. He came with a heart filled with love and compassion. He came to be the shepherd of Israel and indeed the shepherd of the entire world, the shepherd that we need. Let's listen to Jesus, right, and the way he describes himself. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep." Do you hear what kind of shepherd Jesus is, right? He is the shepherd that is totally devoid of any self-interest, of any self-service. He is the one that's, that's completely devoid of, of, of being neglectful, and definitely he is someone who has no exploitation in him. He is exactly what the Israelite leaders were not. He is exactly what the Israelite leaders should have been. Jesus, so focused on the welfare of his sheep, what does he do? He lays down his life for his sheep right, to rescue us and to protect us. Jesus is the good shepherd who came to seek and save the lost. He came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He came to feed the flock by being the bread of life. He came to thirsty sheep as the living water. He came to strengthen us securing our faith by His Word, fortifying our minds against the schemes of the devil. He comes to strengthen and build our character, our godliness, and also our community, our church family. He equips us to be able to live life and live for God and live in service to others in the world. Most of all, Jesus, our Good Shepherd, pays our way and prepares us a place in our eternal home, in the place of eternal shalom. He comes to give us peace. The Lord God has come good, hasn't He, on all of His promises, not because of anything that you and I have done, but because of His own will and desire, because He wants to give us peace. For harassed and helpless people like this, isn't this the best news we've ever heard? To know that the Lord God has been and is and always will be faithful to His flock that He sees the pain and suffering that we go through in this world, that we are harassed and helpless, 
by the shepherds that lead us astray. He has compassion on us, and He wants us to live the good life. So the question is, will you come to your shepherd Jesus? Will you trust Him with your life? Will you come to Him for the spiritual food that He provides, for the living water that we drink of? Will you come to Him for healing? Right, to, to have all of the, the, the pains of your own sinfulness, the hurts, perhaps even of your most, the people that you most expected to have help from, your, your family perhaps, or, or your, your workplace, your community, maybe even the church that you went to or some other religious institution, people you thought you could trust who've, who've damaged you. Will you come to Jesus to, to be healed from all those things? You see, our experience of life, and I don't think we have to be alive that long to know that it's an experience of, of feeling the effects of our own sin and the sins of the people around us, including and especially perhaps those who have authority and responsibility over us. God knows this. God knows that we are harassed and helpless and that we've been hurt. And God wants to heal us and rescue us from all of that which is why he sent his good shepherd, his son, Jesus. Maybe you feel a million miles away from God. Maybe in recent weeks and months and years, you've drifted away from God. Maybe you thought that you could find the good life on your own. Maybe you tried to dabble in sinful pleasures. Or maybe you tried to find hope and meaning in something else besides God. Well, God is saying to you today, what you need is Jesus, your good shepherd. It is only him that can lead you to the good life. Wherever you stand today, and I don't know what darkness is in your life, I hope that the bright hope of Jesus being our good shepherd shines bright for you today. May you find joy and peace in Jesus today. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, it's been a long two and a half months of really hearing um, and feeling the weight of judgment uh, that has been preached uh, through Ezekiel chapter 1 to 33. And even as we sit here week after week and we, we feel the weight of that and perhaps we might even question your judgment, we pray that the darkness of that backdrop simply will help us see the, the glory, the beauty of the hope that you revealed for us today. How you have stepped up and said, that you yourself will be our shepherd and how you will give us your servant David, a human shepherd who is fulfilled so greatly and gloriously in your son, the Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, you know our stories intimately. You know how harassed and helpless we are, how much hurt and harm we've received from leaders in our life, people in our homes, in our communities, in people we, we, we trusted and expected more from. And in all those failings and in all the hurts that we've received, help us to see that Jesus is the one who is the good shepherd. He is the one who can lead us uh, into peace. He is the one who can rescue us and heal us. He is the one that can give us hope and meaning. So please help us to trust him and to follow him. And please help us to enjoy the good life that he is leading us towards. All this we pray in Jesus' name.